We are excited to be in this series, The Heartbeat on the Hill. Uh, if you're joining with us for the first time, this is a great series to come and check out about who we are, what we believe, and where we are going as a church. Last week, we began this series by talking about our mission statement, why we exist as a church, and that is derived from the Great Commission and the Great Commandments, boiled down into a simple statement for us here on the Hill, awakening people from death to life in Christ. And so that was our mission. Today, we're going to be talking about the first part or the first steps of our vision of where we see the Lord leading us. If you think about mission statement, as I mentioned, that is why we exist. If you think about a vision, it's more, this is one of many the definitions you could use, but I like the idea of a vision being defined as a preferred future. What is the preferred future? As we live out this calling, this mission, what is the preferred future that God has us to work towards that we can backfill and go, okay, how do we develop a plan to reach tangible goals in which we know we are being obedient to the Lord as individuals but also as a church? And so that's what we're going to be looking at today is this idea of our developing Vision. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. Now, your life point outline notes may look a little bit different. It's sort of a table. And just so you don't think that we're skipping over things, the idea is that we are going to move down the left part of the table first, the mission of Christ, and then we will move down the right hand side uh, as it's parallel, the HHBC. Vision, And so I'm going to start by sharing what the Lord is teaching us in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. So let's read that together now. I hope you'll do so either in a, on your phone, on the screen, or in a paper copy of God's Word. It says this, After this, he, meaning Jesus, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is a wonderfully compact, rich passage in the narrative of the life of Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, you will find that Jesus often used the table or mealtime as a setting in which to teach and connect. Uh, further evidence that Jesus is at least on board with us Baptists because we like to gather around meals as well. Mealtime is one of those 
opportunities in life, whether it's at a family meal at home or a business luncheon or just two friends or a life group gathering at a restaurant to eat. I love gathering for table meals. There's so many stories and memories that come to mind of gathering around the table. One just humorous one to me is several years ago uh, during the summer, uh, our student ministry was just choosing different restaurants uh, during the summer, one a week to gather students to come and eat. And we chose one week to go to Buffalo Wild Wings. And I had made the statement that anybody who came that was willing to eat the atomic wing or whatever, the fiery wing, the top one on the scale, that I would be happy to purchase those for any student who would like to come and challenge themselves. And so we were in an area and we had maybe 25 students there and I asked who would like to try the atomic wing. And we had several takers. And so I ordered enough for everybody and so they come and they're eating them and I remember one student who was sitting right across from me was just eating it and, like it was nothing. And I don't know about you, but I don't handle heat. Uh, like the mild sauce at Taco Bell is pretty much like the ceiling for me. So I wasn't touching those atomic wings, but I was interested to see who could. And so a couple of other students had tried some, and we had some that were literally running around the table asking for water, for milk, just doing anything to fan themselves. And I just kept looking at this one student who was just stone-faced having eaten this atomic wing. And I'm looking at the contrast, and I said, I said to him, are, how are you doing? I mean, I'm, lo- I'm watching some of the other kids, but you're, you seem to be handling it well. And I'll never forget, this may not be an exact quote, but it is quite close. He looked at me and said, it's pretty much climaxing right now, and I regret all of my decisions. <laughs> and he was just taking it, and that's how he was dealing with it. But, you know, there's moments around a table that are just memorable. And Jesus had many memorable occasions around a table. In this story, what we see is this. Jesus is walking. He's down by the sea. He sees a tax collector. He sees a man named Levi. Now, most uh, most people believe that Levi is the same as Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, one of the 12 disciples, and that this is one of the calling of the disciples. And so Jesus sees this tax collector, Levi, walks up to the tax booth and says, follow me. I don't know about you, but I have to just sort of fill in some blanks in my mind. What happens? How does it go that a rabbi, a teacher just walks up to a man and says, follow me, and he gets up and leaves everything? I can't help but wonder if God had not already been working on Levi. Maybe he had become disgruntled in his own profession, recognizing, as many of you may know, that tax collectors were seen as traitors to their own people. They were um, criminal in that they would tax above and beyond what was necessary because they got to keep whatever was above what they owed the person 
above them. And so they were not well liked by the average Jewish person. And maybe he'd begin to feel the guilt and the shame. I don't know. But it seems like maybe God was working on Levi that this rabbi would come up. Because it was not normal for a rabbi to ask someone who was a tax collector to come and follow them. But when the invitation was out, according to the scripture, he did not hesitate. He got up, says he left everything and began to follow him. And as part of following Jesus, he throws a big party at his house. Makes Jesus a person of honor at the table and invites all of his other tax collector friends. So you've got Jesus, the disciples, tax collectors, as the Pharisees would say, why have you brought all these tax collectors and sinners? So there are other people with maybe sketchy reputations at this party. And the, the Pharisees begin to grumble. And I can't help but wonder, what are the Pharisees doing at this party? And a lot of scholars believe that they would not have entered into the home, but were standing at the outskirts, just watching, grumbling. In fact, it says that they were grumbling and complaining to Jesus' disciples. It makes me wonder if a couple of the disciples sort of came to the fringe of the party and the Pharisees began to grumble, why are y'all eating with these tax collectors and sinners? That's the southern way of saying it. <laughs> Notice that the disciples don't answer. Jesus is the one that answers. So Jesus makes his way to the Pharisees and makes this statement. It's not the sick who need a physician. I'm sorry, it's not the healthy. I was about to go into heresy there. It's not, it's not the healthy that need a physician, it's the sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is a major point of focus. This, this entire passage that we just looked at in the book of Luke is in the middle of the turning of events where the Pharisees begin to make their target on Jesus that will ultimately lead to the cross of Calvary. It is continually grumbling and finding fault and making these arguments that takes place. And so as we think about our vision, I just want to look at what was the mission of Christ because in this passage we get a pretty clear picture of it. So in your life point outline it says this. Number one, Jesus looked intently for ministry needs. What's so fascinating when you begin reading and looking at commentaries uh, and doing the study for messages or Sunday school lessons or life group lessons is that you sometimes find some of the depth in words that were in the original Greek that maybe we don't quite gather just from the simple English. When it says in verse 27 that he went out and saw a tax collector. For many of us, I mean, just from our, our common thought of English is he's walking and 
He saw, it came into his realm of vision that there was a tax collector. But the word in Greek there has the intention of looking with purpose. See, when Jesus walked around, he looked with purpose. He was looking for ministry needs. He was looking for how to steward the influence that God had given him. And so as he's walking, he sees with purpose a young man named Levi. I don't know about you, but if you have been a follower of Christ for any length of time, there are moments when the Holy Spirit who lives within us gives us that sort of intentional sight. Where we walk into a place that we had no, we weren't looking intently We were just going in to buy such and such or to order some food or to visit someone. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit gives us clarity to look intently. And now we cannot escape that God has put someone on our heart. That now we have to engage them in some way. And if you've been a follower of Christ for any length of time and you've had that experience, then you know that then the moment becomes, will I be faithful to say yes to that opportunity or not? See, the mission of Jesus is that he always said yes to those opportunities. He sees Levi. He approaches him. Approaching Levi would not have been unusual. He's sitting at a tax booth. He's expecting to stick his hand out to receive tax. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want you to follow me. He looked with purpose. It's the difference between being at a a, a sporting event, and you happen to be watching, let's just use baseball as an example. It's the difference between watching baseball and you were aware of the plays, you were seeing it, but it's different when your kid is the one up to bat. Now you are looking intently. Or if it's at a major league stadium, it's the bottom of the ninth, the game is tied. Now you are watching intently. The mission of Jesus begins by looking intently and with purpose for the ministry needs around. But secondly, we see this. Jesus often used a table fellowship strategy. This is what's interesting. Jesus used a table fellowship strategy. Particularly in the book of Luke, you see Jesus engaging people at a table. You have this story, and then probably more famous, you have the Last Supper around the table. Also in the book of Luke with another tax collector, Jesus invites himself over to the home of Zacchaeus. There is yet another fellowship around a table that he is at where a woman comes in of ill repute and begins to anoint his feet, and again the Pharisees grumble. Over and over, you see Jesus using a table and a meal. Now, why that's important is this. In this day, in this time, this is why the Pharisees ask the questions about why Jesus is at this table. When you engaged in table fellowship, when you sat down to eat with someone, you were declaring, I accept them. And a lot of times people would not engage. In fact, the vast majority of people would not get out of their social strata 
either up or down to engage in a table fellowship because it was against the cultural norm. And yet Jesus finds himself sitting at really important tables and then in a table like this with tax collectors and sinners. And this is why the Pharisees cannot understand it. Jesus says, I will use my table to engage in a meal, to impart truth, and to show you that I am not putting myself above you or below you. I am meeting you right where you are. It's pretty incredible. The third point is this. Not only does he intently look for ministry needs and use table fellowship as a ministry strategy, but number three, Jesus called people to repentance and to reorient their life around his kingdom. Now this is really important. Jesus sitting at a table with tax collectors and sinners does not mean that he is okay with their sin. He always called people to repent of sin and to reorient their life around his kingdom. Take Levi as an example. Come, follow me. And Levi leaves everything behind, meaning that tax booth, the financial security that it provided. And then he reoriented his life by throwing a party and made Jesus the center of that party, but then brought all of his friends around Jesus. He reoriented around the tax booth to the table with Jesus and said, I know some other people that need to meet Jesus. That's what it means to follow. And Jesus says at the end, when, they, when asked about healthy or sick, he says, the righteous I've not come for, but I've called those to repentance. He's saying, I have called people to turn from their sin. He's saying, I will meet you where you are, but I love you too much to leave you there, is how we've often heard it said. And so I invite you to follow me, to repent, to turn away from sin, and now reorient your life around me. And again, we believe that Levi is the same as Matthew, one of the 12 who wrote one of the Gospels, who would ultimately give his own life for the sake of the Gospel. Total reorientation. Number four. Verse 31 tells us that Jesus came to make hurting people whole. It's not the healthy, it's the sick. Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus is not saying that there are some people who are righteous apart from him. He is simply saying those who consider themselves to be righteous. He will go to those every time who know that they're sick and need help. In fact, the book of Romans was tell us there is none who are righteous. No, not one. See, the Pharisees were standing there saying, we are righteous because we keep rules. And we talked about last week, rules don't lead to life. He says, I can't do, no healthy person or person who thinks they are healthy goes to the doctor. It is those who are sick that go 
to the doctor. And so Jesus is simply saying, I'm here with those who know they need help. And you are out there because you think you don't need help. He says, I came to bring health and wholeness to those who are sick. It's important that we recognize that when we gather in this place as a church, the vast majority of whom are believers already in Jesus Christ, you've been made well, you've been made whole. It's important that we don't become Pharisees and think that we are healthy in here, somehow are on our own strength and everyone else outside of here is sick and we shouldn't intermix with them. Does that make sense? That's what the Pharisees did. They all of a sudden said, we are religious. We do not intermix with those who are sick. It's, <laughs> it's amazing how, how, how that works. And so Jesus said, I came to make people who are hurting whole. So that's sort of the mission. In a very brief nutshell, Jesus looking intently, using a strategy of meeting people right where they are at the table. And then not backing away from calling them to repent and reorient their lives around his kingdom. And then to be made whole. So with that as the backdrop, I'd like to take just a few minutes to move to the right side of that table and talk about how these principles have helped inform Harmony Hill as a church. And to do that, I want to start with um, a, a picture of our area, um, and it'll come up here. And I want you to just notice, when I moved to Lufkin, and maybe others that have moved to Lufkin, the thing that really uh, stands out, now we're not unique in this way, there are other cities with this, but one of the things that really has, has been an impact to our city, whether we realize it or not, is the loop. Again, we all you love or hate it, certain merge-on points are more difficult than others. Let me just tell you, coming from not the state of Texas moving here, um, it is no, you need some nerves of steel sometimes to merge onto some of the places on the loop. But let me just say this, what that loop has done is it makes getting pretty much anywhere in our region a 15-minute drive. I came from a town that did not have a loop. It had just a main street and a second street, and it was nothing but red lights, and it would take to go shorter periods of time longer. And what this loop has done is it has made Lufkin for our region a hub for health care and economic security and influence. Would you agree with that? Because you can sort of see, you know, all these various counties um, and, and small communities around Lufkin. That loop has given us influence over, over the county. And I would say this, this church has benefited from the loop. 
because many, if not more than what is listed there as a county, because you can get anywhere in 15 minutes. You can get to Harmony Hill, just one stop off the loop and a little, little quick drive right by Lowe's, and you can get here in 15 minutes from about anywhere. That's huge. So let me just throw this out there. As I, as I thought about this, the fact that that loop has created a hub for our region for various things. Our leadership a couple of months ago, uh, our staff pastors and our lay elders, we got together and we were praying about, God, where, where are you leading us to focus our attention as we try to live out this mission, awakening people from death to life in Christ? And the image that came to my mind is if this can help us be a region for healthcare and economic impact, church, why can't we have a spiritual impact on this region? And, and so I just want to throw this, this up here. This is our, our new logo right in the middle. Now, again, this is not to state that we're the only church. There are many sister churches in our area that we support, that we partner with, that we believe in, that we are friendly with. This is not to say that we are saying anything or we're, we're trying to put ourselves up as we're the only church trying to do anything. That is not what this is. But it is saying, what would it look like if Harmony Hill started to believe that God had us in a position to steward a spiritual influence in our inside the loop and outside. What would that look like? And so going back to our chart, on the left-hand side, Jesus looked intently for ministry needs. So when our leadership looked around, you'll notice this. Our leadership sees or saw with intent and purpose that God has positioned our church to meet spiritual needs related to both the family and leadership development. Look, we are on the front edge of developing this vision. The first part is how, where are the targets? Here's what I believe and our elders and our pastors believe. God has positioned us as Harmony Hill to make an impact, to steward an impact in our town and in our wider ranging community through stewarding an impact of families and leadership development. Let me explain just very briefly. Number one, this is something that we've already been doing in many ways. Um, this brand new children's building is a love letter to our community that says, we want to partner with you as you raise your kids. Earlier, we just prayed for the school systems and for the teachers and administrators. There are so many children and youth in this community, and the vast majority are not connected to a spiritual mentor or a house of worship that is teaching them truth. And this is where we partner with other churches. Because, again, there are many churches inside the loop and outside the loop that we can partner with. But how do we help steward partnering with families? I'm using that phrase very specifically, partnering with families. 
We've gone through a period in church history, of American church history, if you will, where families, and I'm not pointing the finger, I'm saying this is just where we've been, okay? Where we have subcontracted so much out about the raising of our kids. We get baseball swing coaches, we get math tutors, and I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, but one area that we've got to reverse is we also subcontracted their spiritual development to children's ministries and youth ministries without a parent partnership. See, the difference with a swing coach is that most parents that get a swing coach are also throwing bat and ball out in the yard or attending the games. It's still participatory. For those that get a math tutor are still checking in on the math progress and sitting down and walking them through it. But in many ways, families have said the church has got their spiritual development. I just want you to understand, the church typically on a great week has 2.5 hours of investment in kids and youth. It's not a sustainable strategy. We have to partner with families. That building is never going to disciple a single kid. But the leaders that volunteer over there and in partnership with their families will. And I believe that God has been positioning us for this, not only in a building, which is uh, an incredible draw, but what will we do with that building is what matters. And I believe that God drew and has been raising a team in children's ministry. And I believe God has brought and has been raising a team in student ministry. Just as a quick aside, next week I hope to have very exciting news about the prospect of a new student pastor. We'll just set that to the side. But very exciting things happening there. But I believe God is putting the pieces together for where he's leading us which is to partner with families in a regional way. In that student ministry and in that children's ministry, there are kids that are coming from Lufkin, from Huntington, from Dyball, from Hudson, from Central, from Homeschool, from Piney Woods, um, some even uh, from Etoll, I mean, and, and Douglas and others. I mean, those are small, maybe one or two, but I'm just saying God is already putting the pieces together. And now we've got to more formalize the strategy of how can we best partner with families. See, families are under attack. I don't think any of us would, would doubt that. Um, from an anti-Christian perspective in our world to um, the realities of pornography to the self-esteem related to social media use to drugs and other addictive forces Families, mom and dad struggling. Like how do we partner with the whole family through marriage, through parenting, and through spiritual discipleship? This is a big God-sized task. If you look at the households with children in Angelina County, if in the next five years we were to make contact or impact even 5 to 10%, that would be 1,500 households with children. You understand, that's, that's 90% of the households not impacted yet. 
This is a God-sized vision. And it will not be possible with just a few dedicated people. It will require all of us. The second part of this, uh, though, is not only partnering with families, but when we looked around as elders and pastors, leadership development is going to be a key focus of where we're going moving forward. Both inside the church and outside the church. I'm looking at people, y'all are a bright group of people. You understand that the leaders in a community guide and shape a community. Can I just tell you that when we began looking around at what God has already put into our fellowship, I'm just going to read a couple of the areas that we see God has already put leaders in position that are already connected to our church. We have a mayor, state representation, judges, law enforcement, teachers, administrators, school board members, uh, leaders on the Chamber of Commerce, leaders in the workforce, whether that be small business owners, CFOs, CEOs, HR managers, etc. We have nonprofit, we have so many nonprofit board members in this church. Until moving into the position I'm in where I've gone to some of the banquets, it's like you're going to a Harmony Hill Fellowship many times. I'm just saying, the, I went, we had this meeting with the elders and, and, um, and the pastors talking about what has God already positioned us and where can we go. And we had talked about this sort of list. And within a week, I ended up at maybe the pregnancy crisis uh, center's banquet or a chamber banquet or something. And it's just Harmony Hill everywhere. And I thought, God, you've positioned us to make and steward godly influence. What does it look like if we start to do that on purpose and coordinated and we're supporting those leaders? Not to mention those that we have sent from this church to make leadership a spiritual um, vocation. And, and let me just say this, the secular and the spiritual, that is a false dichotomy. If you are a business leader or a nonprofit board member or a teacher, that is a spiritual assignment as much as those that we have sent out to be sent ones in the far east or in Africa or in the northwest or those that are in training right now in seminaries. Whatever your assignment is a spiritual assignment. And that is what we are saying is how do we help every one of our people steward the influence? Because here's the reality is when I look around, currently we have leaders over all of these areas. But in 15 years, will we? If we are not actively developing and encouraging young men and women that God may call them to serve on a nonprofit board or to use their entrepreneurial spirit for leadership and influence in our community or to, yes, even step into the realm of politics um, because that's their passion and they feel God's called them to it, but they can bring a biblical worldview there or to sit on a school board or to sit in a classroom. That is how we begin to impact a region and the world. Because a small town like Lufkin, many of the children will, uh, this may be hard news for some of us who are parents, but many will graduate high school 
and go off to college. Some will come back, some will remain, but some will never come back because God's called them somewhere else. And that is the legacy in which we partner with families and develop leaders, and we have no idea the impact. There's a phrase, I know there's many institutions that use this, but I really like it. At Southwestern Seminary, they use the phrase that the sun never sets on Southwestern Seminary. And what they mean is that there is an alumni somewhere in the world, and the sun is always shining on an alumni doing the work of the Lord. What would it look like if the sun never set on what God is doing through Harmony Hill Baptist Church? I'm going to move quickly. Number two, our vision is to develop a strategy to impact Lufkin around dinner tables and conference tables. That's an oversimplification, but it's using that table strategy to go, let's meet people where they are at, at their family and at their place of influence or work. Number three, Jesus called people to repentance and to reorient their lives around his kingdom. This is just a shameless plug of the mission statement to see how they connect. We are called to awaken people from death to life in Christ. And this is one of the ways that we seek to do that. And then Jesus came to make hurting people whole. And this is more of a question than anything. How would our community change if we started to see families become whole in Christ. How would we impact our community if the next generation of leaders was equipped to lead with biblical principles? Can you just imagine what our community would look like? And in order to do this, it's going to stretch us. We're going to have to give of ourselves and Seeing people with intent and purpose to minister to them the message of death to life in Christ. And that they experience life. That a family can experience life. That what would it look like if moms and dads in our community, let's just say in five years, began to go, I don't know how to help my kids. They're being bombarded with inappropriate messaging through social media and families in our church are at those ball games where they're overhearing it and saying, hey, our student ministry has a, has a great parent partnership where they can give you some tips and advice and some support in that. What would it look like for a young man who's in college getting ready to graduate, wants to be an entrepreneur, start his own business, and he begins to say, what does it look like for me to do that but be godly, to be a Christian? And we go... Harmony Hill has got a great way to match you up with a Christian businessman mentor or businesswoman mentor. What would it look like to be able to, from one nonprofit board member, to be able to say, I've got someone in my church that would be great. They have a passion for what we're doing here. And they're 30 years old or they're 40 years old. What would it look like for us to really see a spiritual impact, not just in our town, inside the loop and outside it. That's my prayer. It's really a question of how we will steward the influence that God has given us. And so with that, I'm going to 
go ahead and close with prayer and just pray that God would continue to give us wisdom as we move forward. Again, we're on the very bottom stage of this development. And so if, you, if something in this connected with you, would you just let one of our staff pastors know that we, when we get to the formulation that we will bring people in to start, to start thinking about? Because here's what, here's what I acknowledge. Um, there's not many on our church staff that know what it's like to lead in a secular business because many of us have been called since early on. We're going to need help from those that are doing it well already to help us navigate and train others. There are many families in our church who are already discipling their own kids well. And we're going to need your input in how to help make sure that we create a strategy that can impact a wider berth of families. There's families in this church, husbands and wives, that have been through very difficult seasons and yet remain faithful to your commitment to the Lord and to each other. And we're going to need your help in figuring out how to partner with families who are going through current struggles, but maybe without the Lord, and how do we help them? See, it's not, it's, if we try to do everything that's just up here, it's going to be very small. I promise you that. But together, that's where we will see an impact. Father, thank you that you looked intently and saw every single person in this room that needed righteousness, needed repentance, needed to be brought from death to life. Father, thank you for meeting us where we are. And Lord, I'm so thankful for those in this room that have repented of sin and have reoriented their life to follow you. Lord, make us whole that we may live in the abundant life that you provide in Christ. And Father, as a church, as we develop a vision for partnering to see spiritually healthy families and spiritually healthy leaders in our community, God, would you bless that? Would you give us clarity of the next step as we move forward? Lord, I pray for every person in this room. Would you bless them? Would you encourage their heart from the word? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have a great afternoon.